Some of you I don't know. Um, I am a uh, pastor's wife, and uh, my husband is preaching right now um, in Elkins, and uh, that's where our uh, parish is. And, uh, but this is my default home church. Um, if any of you know me very well, I don't drive if it's raining, if it's snowing, if the wind's blowing, I don't drive anywhere. So that pretty much means I'm, I come to new community on the days that the weather's bad, so, uh, which is a lot for me. So I really want to thank Justin. I want to thank him for the opportunity to speak, but the biggest thing I want to thank him for is that I turned 60 this year, and Justin keeps moving the church closer to my house. <clears throat> I, I live on Pinnell Street, and the walk is getting shorter and shorter. So when I'm about, if I make it to 75, you all will be meeting at the Holy Rosary Catholic Church. <laughs> that's pretty much how that's going to go. Um, okay, the title, is it up there? No. The title of the sermon is um, The Awkward Chapter. It's exceptionally awkward. The subtitle is, Your Pastor Ran a Big Race and Stuck Me with the Awkward Chapter. Uh, that's, the, that's the post one. So let's go ahead. Can, can we get the scripture up on the screen? Can we do that? I'm going to go ahead and read that. Um, I hate to be the reader when I'm also going to be the speaker, but since it's short, and maybe that'll calm my nerves a little as I read. Okay, so we're in Jonah chapter 4. Okay, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, this isn't, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish, I can never say that. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided Hang, listen to that, because we're going to come back to that. All these provided. God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, again, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you didn't tend it or make it grow, sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now, here's one of the reasons I think this is such an awkward chapter. It ends really weird. Can we agree with that? It ends really abruptly. Have you ever had a three-year-old tell you a story? You know, what's your story about? Cats and birds and dogs. 
and, okay, tell me your story. Well, there was a cat, and there was a bird, and they saw a dog, the end. And that's kind of how this feels, like you're just, okay, no. What, why, why did it end like that? And the, the other thing that is weird about this chapter, and Justin and I met and, and talked this over a little bit and spoke about this, and he gave me his notes, and I had the, I'm going to say the opportunity to listen to his last three sermons over and over, but man, that's intimidating. If any of you ever speak, you might not want to listen to all of Justin's first. Woo! Um, but anyway, it, it, is, it seems kind of like a silly chapter, and God isn't silly. Jonah seems to be acting silly. So, so let's do our quick background for anybody that wasn't here. Jonah was asked by God to go preach to the Ninevites, to not really even preach, but send a message. Forty days, and you're destroyed if you don't repent. Jonah ran away. He uh, got on a ship going in the other direction. Big storm came up. Sailors um, tossed him over. The sailors repented, by the way, and found the true God. Jonah's thrown over. He's in the belly of the whale. He prays to God. God releases him from the whales, or big fish, sends him back to Nineveh. So now he has gone to Nineveh, and he's preached to Nineveh, and Nineveh listened, and he wasn't expecting that. So now in chapter 4, we find Jonah sitting on the outskirts of the city, and he's mad. Okay, so, you know... I kept listening to sermons on YouTube, and I kept reading things and finding commentaries, and they kept referring to Jonah as, oh, he was pouting, oh, he was peevish, oh, he was silly. And I'm like, okay, this isn't, some, this isn't, this isn't setting in my spirit right, because God doesn't preach to us about people being silly. He preaches to us about our darkest, deepest part of our nature. So I, I kept digging further. And I found um, some sermons by Rave Zacharias. Different ways to pronounce that. Ravi Zacharias, however you want to. If you don't know him, he's an older gentleman. Please watch his sermons. He's a Christian apologist, and he's incredible. He's, he's maybe 70-ish. He is very distinguished and sophisticated. And I thought, if anybody's going to tell me something serious and, and that I can understand, it's going to be Ravi. So I'm, I'm listening to this sermon, and if you haven't heard any of his stuff, please do. <coughs> Excuse me. He's from India. And I also think he spent, must have spent some time in England, because he's got this kind of mixed accent. But everything he says has incredible weight. And he starts his sermons, you know. And God said... And he puts his fingers together. God suggests to us that we do not steal. And I'm like, wow. Oh, my God. That's so deep. That's wild. Okay. So everything he says is just the best. So this is what he said. He told the story. And I'm going to tell you the story that he told on his sermon. There's a lot of plagiarism in my speech today. Um, and then we're going to come back to it, so hang on to it, because we're going to tie it in later. But he told the story of Simon Weisenthal, 
And Simon Weisenthal made sense to me. Jonah doesn't make sense to me. I don't think Jonah makes sense to a lot of us. You know, because it's another time, another culture, and we can't picture a preacher getting mad and going on a hillside and building a shed. You know, none of that's like resonating with my personal life. So probably not yours either. So Simon Weisenthal was a Holocaust survivor. And he was in a total of five camps. <coughs> Forgive me, I'm really struggling with my breathing. I'm just gonna tell you that. I've been <sighs> sick for like two months and um, my doctor gave me steroids, which really cure the breathing and the asthma, but I didn't take them this morning. You're welcome, because the sermon would be super, super fast and super angry. So you'll just have to listen to me cough instead. Okay, so um, Simon Weisenthal was in a labor camp. This was not the last camp he would be in, but it was, it was one, maybe I think it was the third one. And he was tasked as a Jew with um, disposing of medical waste, which is gross. You know, I mean, he was given the worst of the worst jobs, the Jews were, and he was malnourished, and, you know, he, he was a prisoner, basically. <coughs> and he was tasked with um, disposing of this waste in this hospital. And in this hospital was an, um, an SS guard, a Nazi. And <coughs> this Nazi had uh, been severely burned in one of the, the blitzes and he was burned over 90% of his body. His name was Carl Seidel, and he had committed horrible, horrible atrocities against the Jews, and he was dying, and he knew it, and so he asked the nurse to please go get a Jew, and so the nurse took, <coughs> do I cough in the mic or out of the mic? <coughs> the nurse took Simon, to the bedside of Carl Seidel. And Carl Seidel began to beg Simon Weisenthal for his forgiveness for what he had done to the Jews. And the story goes that he sat there at his bedside for hours and hours as Carl confessed over and over every atrocity he'd committed. And with his last breath and pleading eyes, he looked at Simon in the eyes and said, please, I need your forgiveness before I die. And Simon Weisenthal looked him deep in the eyes and got up and walked out the door. That's not the ending I was expecting to that story. I don't know about you. He went on to write a book called The Sunflower, really interesting book. And he told that story. <clears throat> and then the end of the book, he also, he uh, corresponded with 54 people. And they were statesmen and, and important people. And then they were ministers and they were saints. And they were, he, he just got a hold of 54 people that, whose opinion he respected. A lot of ministers, a lot of other Jews, survivors. And he, he surveyed them and he said, would you have forgiven Carl Seidel. And do you know that out of 54 replies, only four said, forgive him. So 
this is getting a little long. I got to get back on track. But the point is this. We are Jonah. We are Simon Wiesenthal because that's a much more current story. And there were a lot of ministers on there. The Methodist ministers all said, don't forgive him. I'm just saying. Shout out to my husband. Okay. Um, And, you know, we are still those people today that don't forgive. Jonah, the story of Jonah begins and ends with God's grace for people that don't love God. Carl Seidel, the Ninevites. Jonah begins and ends with God's grace for people that don't love other people. Jonah, me and you. The prodigal son is really the Jonah story. And in Luke 15, most of you know the prodigal son. Jonah is first the prodigal son. He runs away. He runs away and ignores God's will for his life. At the end of the chapter, which is where we are, chapter 4, at the end of the book, rather, he's the elder brother. He's the one who doesn't want to give grace now to the younger brother. Okay, I brought, I had this idea of a triangle. It's so cool how God works. And uh, I wanted to show you this illustration, and then I realized I didn't have any poster board, and I didn't go to the store. This is so typical of me. And <clears throat> couldn't find anything. So I was praying this morning, really praying over this triangle. And I said, okay, God, if you don't want me to use that illustration, then you won't find anything for me in the house. I talk like that to God. I hope that's okay. And he said, go up to Abby's room. And I thought, now that's just about ridiculous. Abby, my daughter who has not lived at home for many, many years, but she has left her shrine of her bedroom, and no one is to enter the shrine, and she is the most organized OCD person on the planet, and that room is perfection, and there is not a single thing in that room that shouldn't be in there, and I knew full well there wasn't like a big piece of cardboard or something I could make a triangle out of, but God sent me up there anyway, and then I found this. I was like, well, it's kind of triangular shape, but I don't, I don't understand God. And he said, stick with me. And then I said, well, what will I say the A is for? This is really, this is true. This is how I talk to God. And he said, almighty. And I was like, man, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Okay. <clears throat> so here's the deal. And it works even better than the triangle. Go figure God knew best. Okay. The top of the A is God. Okay. And down here is Jonah, and over here is the Ninevites. Okay, God is in charge. He's the Almighty. Here was Jonah's mistake. He started out with the A where it's supposed to be, and then he tilted it. And he thought that he was on the par with God. It's me and you, God, trying to get those dirty Ninevites. Let's straighten them out. Isn't that what we do? Okay, so my example of that is, have you ever asked one of your kids what the punishment should be for their sibling? Have you done this? Okay, the ongoing, and I've used this illustration before because it went on for years. My kids, somebody, some crazy relative, gave them one beanie baby for both of them. Like, no. Okay, so it's like a porcupine or something. 
And they fought over this thing all the time. And so Benjamin has taken the porcupine and, from Abigail and hit it. And Ab, it was Abigail's turn for the porcupine. You get the point. Okay, so the, the big fight ensues. So it was Ben's fault. He's tormented her. He's got her in tears. So I sit them down and I say, well, Abigail, because I was having a stupid parenting moment, and I said, Abigail, what do you think Benjamin's punishment, punishment should be? I think he should go down in the basement. <laughs> I think you should probably lock the door. And I think you probably shouldn't feed him for several days. <laughs> and I'm, think, I'm like, yeah, I was thinking like maybe he wouldn't get his video game tonight. Okay, so, so that's, that, that's God, right? You know, and we're Jonah. We, we think we're, she, all of a sudden, she's like the mini parent. You know, she's like aligned with me. And we do this all the time, do we not? In Matthew 20, Parable of the Workers, I want to go to this real quickly. If you are not familiar with this, it's a great parable, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, so you can have a sigh of relief. But basically, I'm going to, I'm going to really, really wildly paraphrase this, okay, in modern terms. Parable of the Workers is the Jonah story. The Jonah story is told over and over again through the Bible. It's the coolest book in the world, um, if you really get into it. So the parable of the workers is this. Let's say that I need my leaves raked. So I get some high school boys, and I say, I'll tell you what. You come here at 8 o'clock Saturday morning and rake my leaves, and you stay till 4 with a lot of leaves, and I'll give you $20. I'll give each of you 20 bucks. Okay, so they come at 8 a.m., bright and early, and they're raking leaves all day. Quarter to four, 15 minutes left, here comes some kid down the road. And I say, hey, hey, there's still some leaves left. Why don't you come and help these guys rake? Okay. So he joins in for 15 minutes. And uh, then, then they all line up, and I give them each a $20 bill. Guess who's not happy? All the people who think that's unjust and unfair. So here's what Matthew says. In the last, very last verse, and this is what the owner, the landowner says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Okay, and this is representing God. Think of money as grace and mercy. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own mercy and grace? Or are you envious because I am generous? Boom. That's Jonah right there. He is envious. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. But he's more than envious, but we'll get to that. Justin, how am I doing on time? Okay, because I got two more pages, so everybody, you know, <laughs> stick with me. Okay, Jonah really blew it, because Jonah would have been the most blessed prophet ever. I mean, we would have been reading about him in the Bible, but in a completely different way. Because this was, in all of history, okay, hear me, hear me, in all of history, never before, never again, has there been that big of a revival, that big of a conversion. It's never happened. Never happened. Mind blown. Okay. And I love Justin's uh, modern-day examples. Washington, D.C., Hollywood. 
And then my favorite, Justin, I hope you're listening because my shout out to you is the Kanye West joke. That, that, that was the best. He said it'd be like if Kanye West started up, if you weren't here, started a sir. Oh, he did. Okay. So um, it, it, was, it was unbelievable. And imagine Jonah would have gotten credit for that. And he got the pagan sailors to repent and turn to God. And he would have gotten credit for that. But instead, he's over here brooding. Okay, I want to shift gears here for just a little bit and talk about the five words. Some of this is overlap, and I can't help it. I'm trying not to overlap too much with what Justin preached, but it's a little bit hard not to connect the chapters. God wants Jonah to send the message that they will be overturned in five days. And in Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it, it's only five words. It's a very short sermon. And instead of being overturned, they were transformed. And the word in Hebrew, the overturned, can mean thrown over. It can mean transformed. Now, Justin pronounced the Hebrew word numerous times, but I'm not going to because he's a professional, and I'm not. And the word is very close to a really bad cuss word. <laughs> and he can pull it off, but I don't think that I can. So I'm not out of fear. We're just going to go with transformed. Okay. So let, let, let's go back to Simon Weisenthal for a minute. Remember him? Okay. All right. He is bitterly angry that God would not just allow, but he would crave salvation for these people who are his worst enemy. So he doesn't want them transformed because they've hurt him. They were as bad as the Nazis. I mean, they did, they did things that, like, really you don't even want to repeat out loud. I mean, I thought about saying some of them, and I don't even want to say them. They're so brutal and violent. And they were against the Hebrew people. And so it is likely, one, one commentary said, it's likely that Jonah knew or had someone in his family or knew someone personally who had been violently, cruelly assaulted by one of the Ninevites. Now, that's a whole different slant. So now we see why he is in the shed. Okay, remember, when he answered the sailors, the sailors on the ship said, who's your God? Who are you? What's going on? And the first thing he said was, I am a Hebrew. He didn't say, talk about God immediately. The first thing he said was about himself. I am a Hebrew. So he's really into his nationality and his ethnicity. And we're going to see this later, in, later on in the Bible, in the New Testament, Peter you know, Jesus is main man, but Peter had to be schooled in the fact that this isn't about the Jews. This is about mankind. God loves everybody. And Peter couldn't get that at first. And the Pharisees never got it. Well, we're Hebrews. We're, we're the main ones. And they just couldn't get it. Okay, so Jonah goes and builds a shelter. Now, again, this is hard to relate to, but stick with it. He's in the desert He's already preached. I'm guessing the 40 days have gone by. They're, they're, I'm, I'm confused in that, reading the commentaries. But it doesn't seem as though it looks like God is definitely not going to punish them. And he's not happy. So he gets up on the hillside outside of the city gates 
to watch what's going on because he's thinking maybe, maybe God will relent and kill them. And so he builds this shelter out of boughs, kind of like evergreen boughs, and so there's a lot of space between them, and so it, it's not the best shelter, but it's the best that he can produce. Maybe I can still yet get God to come around to my view of him. That's what Jonah's thinking. If you're asleep, listen to this one sentence, because every single one of us are doing this in our own lives right now. There is something in your life that you don't want to surrender to God. I know I've got some. I got an appointment with Justin this week to talk about it. I do. I mean, I struggle with this stuff. So there's something we don't want to surrender because we're going to sit it out. This is how stupid we are how arrogant we are, how much we think we're up, you know, we're team God. We're going to wait it out to see if God will come around to our point of view. Surely God will get it after a while, (laughs) right? Okay, and I'm going to step on some toes here, but I don't care because I'm mostly trumping all over my own. I'm divorced. I'm remarried. I think God has blessed that marriage, and I think God has blessed me, and he's using me, and I think he's forgiving me, forgiven me, but guess what? I never said this before publicly. I don't think that I should have gotten a divorce. Ooh, it's quiet. God says he hates divorce, and do you know what? I counseled with numerous pastors. I'm not blaming anybody. I have eyes. I can read the Bible. I'm responsible. But did I have a lot of good reasons? Yeah. Did I have tons of sympathetic reasons? Yeah. If you saw a movie in my life, you'd be going, oh, that poor woman. Let her out of that. But you know what? I went to pastor after pastor, and I said, please, someone tell me the truth. Someone tell me the truth. Someone tell me the truth. Oh, you're fine, Deborah. You're a wonderful woman. You're a Christian woman. You teach Sunday school. You go ahead. You get out of that marriage. And I did. You know what? Mm Mm-mm. You know, has God forgiven that? Absolutely. Washed by the blood. Okay? Everybody's good. But it's quiet in here because you know what? In that moment, I built my shelter, and I waited till God told me, yeah, you go ahead. You file those papers. And that's not what God wanted to happen. I'm sorry, that's not in my notes. God just stuck that in my head. Okay, so, um, but I'm not going to apologize for that. So then, God causes and provides, back to that provides, he provides a gourd to grow. Now, last year, I did something stupid, do a lot of stupid things, I took an old gourd. I have neighbors that are these really precise gardeners. And I just took the gourd and threw them and let them die by the fence. And my neighbors said, do you really want to do that? I said, oh, yeah. We'll just see what happens. Well, what happened was this giant thing that the mailman had to, like, do this to, you know, bushwhack through, literally. 
to walk down the sidewalk because these leaves get huge. So when you think of a gourd growing up, it's not just this little vine. It was humongous shelter that was provided for Jonah. So he's loving this. Then God, so he thinks, now, now wait for it. He thinks that God has now blessed his decision. Okay? Do we do this? Oh, God's so happy. God's so happy with me. He loves me sitting out here judging the Ninevites. Look what he did. Gave me some extra stuff. Okay. <clears throat> and we do that all the time. Okay, so then God provides a scorching east wind. I think it was east. And the wind, okay, we're done with that one. It's okay. Um, and the wind made him so incredibly hot. And the vine died. I got that wrong. I'm sorry. He sent a worm first. He sent the worm, and the worm ate the vine. So all the leaves are gone, and then he makes it worse and sends a scorching wind. I apologize. Okay. So Jonah's like, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? He is struggling with the fact that God is too large. God is both incredibly just and wants vengeance. Go tell them they are wrong. God wants to tell you the truth. He wants to slam you with the truth. And then he wants to slam you with mercy. I don't understand it. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Jonah wants a counterfeit God. And by that, I mean a God of his own making. The real God shows up, and Jonah doesn't like it. So what pain, what part of you, what sin are you holding on to that the real God wants you to let go of so that he can provide you with his abundant mercy? How are you defining God in your own terms right now? Back to Jonah for a second. Back to Simon Weisenthal. I'm almost done. What if God sent you to the person and the people, the group of people or the person who have hurt you the most and said, that's who I want you to go minister to and take the gospel to? Not just minister them. I'm not talking about just take a cake or a casserole. you got to go speak truth to them, truth and mercy. Not just one side, not the other, but both. What if God asks you to do that? So Justin gets me roped into these things, and then stuff happens to me. So he asked me to do this Jonah thing, and I'm saturated in it, reading it and everything. And I'm in Kroger's. And uh, in Kroger's, just so you know, Nineveh is the cheese aisle. I'm just going to let you know. So here is this woman. I saw her head. Oh, you all have done this. And I went, oh, I need those cheese sticks real bad for my Weight Watchers diet, but I am not going there. Because this woman was a dear, dear friend of mine for years until I got divorced. And... Divorce has ripple effects, in case you don't know. And my children had grown up with their children, same ages, 
and I'm not talking about holidays necessarily, but every year we had two, we had these three annual things that we did every single year. So my daughter from birth, my son from little bitty, we had this, and one of them was this sled riding event in the winter. And it was on a particular date. And she made this, she's a great cook, she made this big chili. It, it was a big event. So here comes the first winter after my divorce. And Benjamin's out, I'm gonna cry. Benjamin's out getting his sled, and he's, mommy, mommy, and oh, we're going out there, and this and that. And he's getting out his snowsuit, his snow gear. They weren't invited. I have been told very clearly. They were not to come back. Now, you do what you want to me because of my decisions. But you don't let my baby go in the snow? I mean, and then here's Abigail with her little toboggan on. Oh, dang, she was cute. Okay, you know, and I got to say, kids, how about we sled ride in our own yard? You know, oh, pain, 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 pain. And that went on, more of that. And here she is in the cheese aisle. So I go to Tarshish. And if you don't know, and you need to know, if you need to flee, it's the beauty product aisle. <laughs> There's a corner that's tucked back beside the pharmacy that nobody goes back to. There's like insure and old hair dye. I'm serious, there is like nobody back there ever, ever. So I go back there. This is true, and I stay there for a really long time, like super long. Like I'm looking up the, the carbohydrates on the various, you know, drinks. And I'm like, okay, I know this woman, and she's kind of OCD and quick, and I'm like, there's no way she's still in this store. No way. So I come out safely from Tarshish. I am vomited out of the whale. And I make my way over to the peanut aisle because I'm still doing the circumference, you know, like, okay. And I mean, I thought, well, and I was just going to go straight for the checkout. And then I thought, sunflower seeds. Those are low points on my Weight Watcher. <laughs> and I grab for them, and dang it, there's a tap on my shoulder. Oh, it's her. <laughs> Deborah! Okay, so we're civil, we are, you know, and there's a part of me that, you know, old, old times, the older you get, some of you that are old, over 35, will understand that it is good to see an old friend even if you don't think it's gonna be. And so we hugged and we went through our two minutes about the kids, blah, 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 and she said, well, I'm in a hurry, and I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> Especially now that I killed 45 minutes in the beauty aisle, anyway, so. We're done with the conversation. And then I looked at her eyes. Darn that God. I'm telling you, there was so much pain in her eyes. So much pain. And I knew instinctively in my spirit that it wasn't anything to do with us or our past. It was something going on with her. And I had my sunflower seeds. And I, I thought, oh. God, really? He's like, you're going to be speaking. You might want to turn around. So I turned around and I said, are you okay? 
and the tears just poured. And she said, my mother died four days ago. And we stood there in that aisle and cried and cried together. And she said, I know you know what it feels like because I know your mother's died. And I know you know what it feels like because you, you knew my mother. You know, you were part of my life for so long. And she cried and cried and cried. And I have to tell you, I was so blessed. It was like I was on cloud nine when I left that day. And, and that's not me. I'm not telling you how great I am. I mean, I'm not. I was in the beauty aisle. But God forced that, and it really, really, really blessed me. And that's the blessing that Jonah missed. Okay, so shifting gears, and we're almost done. Ten times in the entire book of Jonah, God provides things for Jonah. He provided the word to Jonah to go to Nineveh. He then provided a great wind. He then provided a great fish. In chapter 2, he then provided fish vomit so that Jonah could come out. In chapter 3, and the word provided is used over and over again, he provided a command again to go. He provides compassion to Nineveh instead of destruction. He provided the vine for Jacob. Stick with me, almost done. He provided the worm. He provided the scorching wind. And he provided his rationale to Jonah. He didn't have to. He didn't have to do that. But it was a teaching moment. So he said to Jonah, hey, buddy, these, I, I may be, what a mess. I, my daughter will be ashamed. Okay. Should I not be concerned about that great city? He, he explains what he's doing. God doesn't have to explain himself to us, but he did. Lost my place. Justin doesn't do that. Okay. Jonah is a story about who God is. It is about Jonah. But the bigger message, it's the gospel story. And we know this because later on in Matthew 12, Jesus later on says, there will be no sign given to the people except for the sign of Jonah. So Jonah was the counterfeit prophet who stood outside of the city, that's us, waiting for everybody's destruction. Jesus was the real prophet the genuine, the real goods, who was outside of the city doing what? Dying for the people, providing salvation. One's waiting for destruction, one's providing salvation. So the book of Jonah is the gospel message. Okay, I know I've lost people, but I'm just going to say this real quick. I've always wanted to go to Ireland, and I will never go because I will not get on a plane for that many hours. But I really, really want to go, and I read about it and watch movies about it all the time. I just love, 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 love Ireland. And I was thinking about this. Justin and I were, like, geeking out in, in that coffee shop I hate. And we were, um, we were just so excited to talk about Jonah together. And, you know, I, I have saturated myself with Jonah for, since, for a month. And, and it just has 
done so much to my heart. And I thought, you know, Justin and I are like two people who went to Ireland and we're coming back and we're telling you and showing you our slideshow. Is there anything worse? <laughs> and here's a, here we went, uh, okay. Okay, so what I'm saying is go to Ireland yourself. Get in the word of God yourself. The reason this means so much to me and the reason Justin jumps up and down and is so passionate is because he's in the word all week long. So you get in the word. Ignore me, which people are like, trust me, we already have. We're, we're. <laughs> Go home and read the Bible. I got so excited. I had no idea. I thought this, I've read this a zillion times. I had no idea the complexity and the depth in this book. And if you don't like to read, watch a bunch of YouTube videos. Seriously. I mean, you could see some great sermons. Okay, so there are three groups of you right now. And we're about to close. I was like, yes. Okay, here's the three groups. The first group, and I know this, because my husband has three churches. And so by the time he practices his, his sermon on me Saturday night, and then I hear it twice, by the time we're at the third service, I, and it's true, you can look at my Bible, I have tons of bulletins with grocery lists on them. I am writing grocery, it's true, I'm writing grocery lists, and I'm thinking about different ways to do chicken in the crock pot. And so a bunch of you are doing that right now. And that's okay. I know you are. Then there's another third of you that are thinking, yeah, that sermon, that, that justice, those people need justice. You know, you're erring too far on that side and you need to move over to mercy. And then there's another group of you that just want to give mercy, 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 but you don't want to hear the truth, nor do you want to tell anyone the truth. And we have to be bigger than that. There are so many messages in this book. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. But I want to leave you with this. 40 days, worked for Jonah, so I'm going to try it. Okay. 40 days and you will be overturned. Okay? That's true now, right? In 40 days, if you allow it, you could be transformed. You could choose to surrender to God, even if you don't understand him, because I don't understand him. I wouldn't be merciful to people that have been so cruel, would you? I'm scared to tell people the truth sometimes. We bounce back and forth, and then there's the group of us that, I don't even know why you're here. Some of you are seeking, but some of you just, like, show up. I don't know. I, I, I heard Justin say this on the podcast, and I'm like, yes. You know, if you don't really want to surrender to God, and I'm not talking about people who are just learning about it and just seeking. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those of you that have been in church for years and years and years. If you don't really want to surrender, why in the world would you wake up on a cold morning and come here? I don't get that. No, I'm, 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 that's not even one of my jokes. That's for real. I would not do that. It's cold. I would have coffee in, in my warm living room. Like, why are you doing this if you're not going to do it? And, and it's not about doing. It's about surrendering to God. This really, Jonah is really the gospel message. God is so just that he demands that sin be destroyed. So he is out to overturn us in 40 days. But 
He sent Christ to provide the equal dose, well, way bigger than equal, of mercy. And so in 40 days, will you surrender or will you be like the Ninevites who history tells us eventually went back and turned right back to where they were? Would you pray with me, please?